0: Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakar Banu Mikol Hamim VeNatan La Lanu Etorah To Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Biskut Mashiach Yeshua, Amen Well Shalom, this is this week's Besorah portion to Parsha Pinchas. Parsha Pinchas is, in English, is Phineas And this is Bami Bar 25, uh, 10 through chapter 30 and verse 1. And the gospel, the Besorah portion is, go figure, you know, I just got to say that every week when we're reading the Torah, we put the gospel in it. And so we find the good news in every single Torah portion. I know I've done this several times, but for some reason this is just sticking out to me now that there's good news in every Torah portion. Like there's an opportunity. To see the flesh of Mashiach Yeshua in every single Torah portion. Because, you know, Basora is Basar He. Like the Basar of the Spirit, because hey represents the Spirit. Anyway, so, um, Yochanan chapter 2, verses 13-22. So, I will be reading from the Orthodox Jewish Bible, and whatever don't make any cray cray sense, I'm going to read from the Tree of Life version. So, uh, here we go with Yokanon, his writings, the writings of Yokanon chapter 2, starting at 13. It says, and Pesach was fast approaching, and Mashiach Yeshua went up to Jerusalem." You can also see this uh, pointed out in Devarim 16, one through 6, about the pilgrimage festival. And he found in the Beit Hamikdash, the ones selling oxen and sheep and doves, like Vayikra one hundred fourteen and Devarim 14.26, and the coin dealers sitting, as in Devarim 14.25. And having made a shot or a whip out of ropes, Mashiach Yeshua drove all of them out of the beta mcdash both the sheep and the cattle <laughs> so this is like that stampede scene probably it's a small version of what's in the lion king but anyway um watch out mufasa okay so he also poured out coins of the here we go some yiddish for you Makal machal leafy ha kesafin which is the money changers. So, is money changers. And overturned their tables. And to the ones selling doves, Mashiach Yeshua said, take these things from here. Do not make the bayit avi, the house of my father, a bayit ha soharim, a house of merchants. It's interesting to note if you read the uh, Esh's Kayil Bracha, this is a quick swerve, but I'm opening up my Siddur to the uh, Arab Shabbat Seder and Sabbath Eve Kiddush. And Esh's Kayil can be found on page 359 and uh, Pasuk Hay, where it says, She is like a merchant's ships. So if you read, hey, it's ha'ita kaniyot soher. There it is. kaniyot. is like the ship and soher is a merchant. So you have merchant ships. And then here you have Sokarim. so merchants. So now you have the bayit, merchant, and that corresponds to the eshes braka as far as the word merchant. So there's a little Hebrew for you. Socher. And when you look at Socher, it is samik Het rash And um, so I'm just trying to think of some nifty little gematria that's probably there. It's 268. 268. You got 2 plus 6 is 8 and 8 plus 8 is 16 be david so you have in david or bayad or in the hand or with the hand and so what merchants do are things with their hands is one of the quick little gauchers there okay anyway that's neither here nor there so i don't know why i just swerved i guess i wanted to teach you hebrew so karim is merchants all right so you can also cross-reference zachariah, zachariah 14 21 verse 17 the Talmudim of Mashiach Yeshua remembered that it had been written, Kinat betecha achalan, achalatani. achalatni, achalatni." There we go. Wow. sixty nine nine. All right. So let's go to sixty 69.9 real quick. Tehillim 69.9. Let's get some Hebrew English going here. Tehillim 69. Verse 9. Tet. Okay. So. Kinat. Okay, so if you have a Tanakh, it's probably going to be verse Yod. And it says Ki Kinat Akalatni Ve naflu So let's put that in English because you know English is fun, right? Not for long, because when we had to get Ula we're gonna be worshiping in 70 languages at one time get you some or 70 plus one because you know Hebrew is not counted among the 70 languages but anyway that's also neither here nor there <laughs> because zeal for my house has eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproach you are falling up on me so that's a verse about Mashiach so there you go uh it also says in verse 18 back in our Besorah in reply Those of Yehuda then said to Mashiach Yeshua, what out, what sign, miraculous sign, out, Aleph, Vav, Tav, do you show us for these things you do? And reply, Mashiach Yeshua said to them, bring Kherban to this Heikal and in Shalosh Yamin, I will raise it. So it's important to note, We're in Yochanan chapter 2, Mashiach's life chronologically, I guess you could say as far as his ministry, is barely getting ramped up as far as if we kind of looked at it from that route. Now, obviously, Yochanan did not write about Yeshua's life in chronological order, so there's definitely lots of room for that. But we see early on in the writings of Yochanan where Mashiach says, tear down this temple, Or destroy this temple. Because Kherban is the same word as destruction. Like what was used for the Beit HaMikdash. Both temples. Uh, When we celebrate or when we observe Tisha B'Av. Which in the future we will be celebrating. Because the temple will be rebuilt. And our mourning will be turned into joy. So may that be soon in our days. But the word for the destruction of the temples is actually Kherban. So it's Kherban Beit HaMikdash. And so Mashiach uses that same word, that you're going to destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to rebuild it. So, he says that here, this is chapter two of Yochanan, so we got a long way to go, and he's already saying this. So this comes up at his trial, obviously, much later, and they're like looking for things to accuse him for, and this is what they chose. So anyway, uh, it says... You can also cross-reference Yonah 117 and Hosea 6-2, talking about being raised on the third day. And it's important to note when he says in three days, it really won't be a full and complete three days because when Mashiach was actually crucified, it was actually almost the end of the day. And so because it happened before sundown, it counts as one day. So it's important to note on the Jewish calendar, that's how we count time. Because there was no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there wasn't any of those days on the Jewish calendar. So, Good Friday, not so much. Prep day, yeah. But anyway, um, so if you're ever running into, how do we know it was a Shabbat and all this? Well, if it was the 14th of Nisan, going into the 15th of Nisan... At sundown, 14th into the 15th is a Shabbat. However, if that landed on a sixth day of the week, then your seventh day of the week would be the normal Shabbat. And then you would have your whole observance there, which would make the first day of the week, like it says in the gospel text, which is when Miriam and Miriam and the whole crew went to the tomb on the first day of the week. So anyway, just a little uh, Hebrew backdrop for you on that. All right, verse 20. It says, those of Yehuda then said in 40 and 6 years, which is cool because in Hebrew, that's how they count. You know, you go 10 and 1, that's 11. Now you got 40 and 6, that's 46. So 46 years, this heiko was built. And you... And Shalosh Yamin will raise it. You by yourself. What's wrong with you? But that one was speaking about the Haiku of Mashiach Yeshua's Basar. This is Mashiach the temple. So Mashiach is the temple that we built a replica of, which is crazy to think about. Because, really, when you understand how Hashem dwells among us, He tabernacles among us. So when we built the Mishkan, when we built the Mikdash, this is the image of Hashem upon the earth. And so Mashiach is the greater reality of that. This is why He says something greater than the Temple is here. So there's all that. Okay. So last verse. I think we can do it. This is awesome. We're only almost twelve minutes in, and we're almost done. Therefore, when he underwent the Tekiyat HaMashiach, the resurrection of the Mashiach, his Talmudim remembered that this he was saying, and Ve Ya Aminu, and they put their faith, like, and they put their Amen, Ya Aminu, their faith, in the Kitve HaKodesh, in the Writings, the holy writings. Kitve is like Kakatuv, like to write, Katuv, the writing. And then if you want to say plural, you go Ketve. And then Hakodesh is holy. So you're saying the holy writings, which is Tehillim 16, 9 through 10. And last part of the verse and the Dvar which Rebbe Melech Hamashiach said. So when mashiach was resurrected that's when the remembrance happened and so if you think about the amazingness of what this verse here verse 22 is talking about this is actually the picture of the tablets being broken because when the tablets were broken the spirit departed from them like they gave up the ghost just like mashiach's body but then when we received the second tablets, we were able to grab a hold of the word again and to remember that which was lost. Now again, I always bring this up Parsha Kitisa from the Aliyah a day with Rabbi Griffin of Sarshalom and Lapid. He brought down a source about the word Shabbat, the letters for Shabbat being the only letters that remained on the tablets. So when the tablets were destroyed, i.e. the body of Mashiach, when it was destroyed, the only thing that was left to observe was Shabbat. And so, again, on my Bring, Bring the Redemption uh, podcast that I podcasted uh, previously to this one, uh, I go into all that, how observing the Shabbat is actually immersing yourself in the death and resurrection of Mashiach. So want to talk about remembering his words and staying close to him and putting your faith in him then observe the Shabbat. So you can check that information out if you are interested. But you know, the cool thing about the resurrection and remembrance, I mean, you know, it's this awesome time that we get to experience because for those of us who have placed our trust in Mashiach, we are experiencing greater revelations of Torah that you're just kind of like, Is this even right? Is this true? Like this is weird. I don't know. And there are copious amounts of writings out there that actually try to comment on followers of Yeshua, and and the the New Testament, quote unquote. Even though that's a very very false term. Brit Hadashah Basora the Igerot the letters. There's all sorts of information out there that wants to try to explain first century believers and the first few hundred years and Council of Nicaea and onwards. And uh, there's just no way to really get a solid, cohesive, um, you know, writing or liturgy of some sort to help you study from. I know that would be just absolutely incredible. You know, you want to know about what was life like for a believer in 100 CE, you know, in our current common era here that we're in? And it's just like, chances are you won't be able to find that in a very kosher source. And I know that there are excerpts excerpts of Talmud that uh, seemingly anti-missionaries or uh, Hebrew rooters want to try to misuse and corrupt and twist and distort. That uh, highly discourage, you know, followers of Yeshua. They call him J.C. the Nazarene, or any any of those things like that. But it's important to note there's only really one, and there's only one. Trust me on this, Uh, because I mean, if you don't, then I I have a file that I can send you that. pretty much kind of paints the picture, but all of the JCs that are mentioned in the Talmud, the only one that's absolutely accurate is the one that talks about him being hung on the 14th of Nisan, being from the house of David. That's the only account of Yeshua that actually matches up. Other than that, uh, these other JC characters are sorcerers they're trying to be followers of certain rabbis or sages and they're from different time periods no one ever really paints those pictures when they bring these excerpts these excerpts i don't know why i can't say excerpt but anyway no one ever brings this up when they want to bring these passages out it's just like do your homework okay don't just go start throwing stuff around and, and pulling the jc card on people like that's not nice And, um, you know, there's so many heartstrings and everything that's attached to, you know, the name and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we have to know that our Messiah, his name is Yeshua. We shouldn't be calling him any name that doesn't belong to him. And we should not be placing him in any other category than the one who Hashem has let us know what his category is. And his category is... He is the word of God that took on flesh, walked in the likeness of man. He was uh, submitted and subjected to death for our sakes, and he was raised. And now he intercedes for us at the right hand, just like the Torah always does. Uh, It's funny I say that because there are so many Midrashim that talks about the Torah interceding for Israel. I mean, just, I don't know, just study the Torah portions and you'll be just, you know, absolutely surprised and mind blown by when that happens. You'll be like, wait, I think I just read a comment here, whether it be from Rashi or Bakya or uh, Rabbi Monk or any of those sages, um, things like that. So anyway, for what that's worth. So if we can understand Yeshua from that standpoint and not from how we were taught growing up, That would be ultimately the best thing. If we can't separate from the ideology that we were raised with and that we were conditioned with, then when the final redemption happens, then we're going to have a little bit of a jolt, like a like a bat that's waiting on sunrise as Sanhedrin 98 so beautifully puts it. Um, So bats and sunshine don't really mix. That's why they're nocturnal. There's a reason for that. Uh, So for those of us who are really trying to hold on to traditions that are not laid down by Torah, then uh, it's going to be a little rough. So let's go ahead and adjust ourselves now. Start studying Torah portions now and let's get our head in the game, so to speak. So um, that might have sounded a little harsh, but it wasn't intended to be. It was just an encouragement that. We need to see Yeshua as he is, because um, if you really just take a Peshat level, like don't try to pull any tricks. Don't try to get into any sources. Don't try to, you know, connect any Torah thoughts. Let's go with logic. okay? point blank and simple logic. When was Matthew, Mark, Luke and John absolutely written down? and dispersed throughout the whole entire world. So much so that Paul would quote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or that Peter would quote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or that Yaakov, commonly known as James, would quote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Much less uh, Acts, much less Galatians, much less Romans or first Timothy or Hebrews or Jude or Philemon. Yes, Philemon is, is a very overlooked piece of Jewish literature. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, some people call him Philemon. So I don't know. And also the big granddaddy everybody loves is Revelation. So and it's just kind of like that's a Jewish apocryphal book. And that is like Enoch and beyond type stuff so if you accept revelations but you don't accept enoch then you know you got to think about stuff because you know they're kind of these very apocryphal revelational books and it's like well it's not in the bible so we don't accept it well okay (laughs) really when you want to talk about bible From the mind of Yeshua, from the mind of his Talmudim, from the mind of the Sanhedrin, the Bible is the Torah, it's the writings and the prophets, i.e. the Tanakh, i.e. Genesis through Malachi. So when you think about all that, what is the backdrop of being able to learn who Yeshua is? If you didn't personally get to see him, How would you know it's him if someone started to testify about him? It would be, does he line up with what the word of God says and word of God being Torah, being writings, being prophets? This is how first century and beyond believers thought. And this is how first century and previous century believers thought, i.e., people like Moshe, David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk. I mean, should I go on? So if we're looking at Mashiach and thinking it's anything other than that, then we're going to put ourselves on shaky ground at best. So just wanted to uh, share that and hopefully be an encouragement and some um, fundamentals for everyone to work from. You know, what makes really great athletes are the fundamentals, you know, you can be super skilled at whatever you do, but if you don't have any fundamentals, you'll never be great. And if somehow you break the matrix and figure out how to be great without having any fundamentals, then uh, it won't last very long. So you got to know your fundamentals. <clears throat> this is why we encourage people when they come in to Sar Shalom or when they come in to Lapide start with the Aliyah day. Just start with the Aliyah. Read the Torah portions. Don't try to do the letters. You can read the gospels because again, as I started this podcast, you see that there is a basura portion with each Torah portion. So you want to line everything up correctly. Go through, give yourself, trust me, the, you know, the law of the trees found in Leviticus. Um, I believe it's 19. Let me double check myself. Over here being Mr. Source Man and not sourcing stuff out. That ain't right. Gotta make the Shuba right now. Okay, so we got uh Vaikra nineteen uh boom boom going through neighbor, don't don't hold a grudge. You should love your neighbor. Love yourself. Alright. Uh Going going, going, right around, okay, 1923, Vayikra, Leviticus, and when you come into audits by the way, audits is the will of Hashem, because the Aleph of the Rats, which is Ratzon, that's the Aleph will, Hashem's will, so the land is likened to the will of Hashem, so, when you come into the will of Hashem, i.e., Torah, i.e., you convert, i.e., you become a part of Judaism, specifically the P Judaism, because you should not jettison your belief in Mashiach just to become Jewish. This is why there's the discrepancy when people go, Oh, well, you're Jewish, right? Okay, so you know, and they go back and forth, like, do I ask this? Is this rude? I don't know what they're going to say. If they say they don't believe, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, they have this mental explosion before they finally push themselves to say, I just got to ask, do you believe in, you know, you believe in JC? You're like, yes, (laughs) but no, (laughs) you know, kind of, it's, it's awkward because it's like, well, his name is Yeshua and yes, uh, I do believe in him. He is my Mashiach. You know, he's the Zodic that attaches me to Hashem. And it's just kind of like, okay, so you may have said way too many words with that, but for all intents and purposes, yes, you believe. And it's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, and then it's just blue screen because where do you go from there? You know, all of these past 2000 years, how come there aren't more of us? <laughs> it's just like, there's so much technology available. There's so much knowledge that is increased in the earth. I mean, we figured out how to make metal fly. I'm just saying, why can't we make uh, Judaism believe in Yeshua? Like, what's up with that? It's got to be spiritual, obviously. But anyway, um, so yeah, so you got to start with the fundamentals and you got to come into Haaretz. Back to Vegre 1923 says, and shall have planted all manner of food trees. We, as men, women, boys, and girls, children of all ages, okay, young and old alike, we are called food trees. Men are like trees, okay. Mankind, Benadum. We are called and likened to trees. This is why it says, You shall know a tree by its fruit. Okay, we are likened to trees. So here is our example. It says, You shall treat the fruit thereof as forbidden, shalos shanaim. Anything that you can come up with in the first three years, you should treat it as forbidden. It can be the most beautiful apple ever that comes off of your tree in the first three years of your entering into Torah and Judaism, but you can't eat it, it's forbidden. I mean, you can eat it if you want to. But again, because we ate something that was forbidden, we were kicked out of the garden and now sin, sickness and death and childbirth pains are in the world. Just saying, there's a whole lot of death and sickness because we were like, yeah, Hashem, whatever, we're going to just eat this. That's the gravity of us not being obedient, (laughs) which is why not following the Torah is breaking the commandment of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. anyway, uh, it says you shall treat the fruit of there is forbidden for three years. It shall be forbidden to you. It shall not be eaten. So what am I saying? I'm saying if you give yourself three years and you haven't produced anything, you don't feel like, oh, I've I'm able to be more mature now. I'm able to teach drashes. I'm able to share and teach classes or, you know, do these whatever you're going to do kind of stuff. Just like it's been three years, you're still not ready to go yet. So just continue to study, continue to grow, continue to bring forth more beautiful apples that you can't eat. If the apple is edible and it's like, yeah, I mean, you can really trust the fruit. You can cut the apple open and it's no worms or anything. It's just like, well, that's great. Just keep the apple and don't eat it. Okay. don't eat, Matter of fact, don't cut the apple open. Just, just leave it. <laughs> okay. So it's forbidden give yourself time, give yourself time to grow, give yourself time to D first of all, deprogram. program, by the way, because there's a lot of stuff you grow up with thinking is actually legitimate. There's a lot of things you think is scripture and it's not, there's a lot of things you think is written and it's not, you know, so give yourself time to process all that out. Okay. Then it says, uh, unto you, it shall, not be eaten, but in Shana ha Eat, ha Eat, Slika Shana ha-Revi Eat, which is the fourth year. This is why the Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, is called Revi Eat, the fourth day, the middle day of the week. It says, "All the fruit thereof shall be kodesh to Hashem, with all." Okay, so if you're in your fourth year of observance. Now everything you do should really be amplified and very luscious and a beautiful bouquet to Hashem. This is why Mashiach, when he came upon a particular tree, was like, "Uh, this tree, or this is a parable uh, he talked about. It was like, this tree needs to be uprooted, it needs to get out of here. And it's like, no, 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 let's dig around it a little bit. Let's give it another year. You know, it's like, OK, so that's like your fourth year. OK, so like Hashem is going to come at you fourth year and be like, all right, what you got? And you be like, I'm not ready yet. And he's like, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit more time. All right. So I'll be back literally. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, so your fourth year, you should be really kind of into the groove and kind of, you know, you kind of done, you've done your Pesach. you you've, You're starting to get some Pesach dishes going. You're starting to figure out this kosher kitchen thing. You know, you're starting to really kind of get the prayers going. You got maybe two or three Hebrew phrases that you can do really well. One of them being Shabbat Shalom. So, you know, uh, yeah. All right. So that's your fourth year. Okay. So as I'm reading this, I'm just getting this big picture that time is of the essence. You know, yes, the Geula is close to happening. Yes, Mashiach is close to being here. And yes, it's almost time for us to be done with exile. But that doesn't mean that you need to be super Jew overnight and no Hebrew tomorrow. What you do now determines your trajectory for the Geula. So if you're really working hard at it and giving it all you got and you've only gotten this far, you know, like a hair's length like a really short hair length, like you just shave your head bald and like there's a little fuzz coming out. Okay. If they've gotten that far, well, the effort that you've expended is actually going to exponentially increase for the Geula because whatever you've put into this life here, you're going to be able to continue and perpetuate on the uh, time forward. So So, yeah. So just think about your effort. Think about your quality of what you're doing. Don't think about quantity. Think about quality. You want to have a really good Shema. You don't want to just be like, I got Shema. I got Amidah. I got the korbanot, I got the morning brakas. you know, like, okay, make sure they're all quality. You want good quality fruit because when Hashem partakes of this fruit in the fourth year, you want them to really enjoy it. And then verse 24 over here, talks about, uh, the fourth year. So 25, it says, and in the fifth year, you shall eat of the fruit. It may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am Hashem Elohechem. So you want to know about how your growth should look. This is how it should look. It should take you at least five years before anything is possibly Tangible and understandable and comprehensible for you. And if it's been five years and you still don't feel like you've gotten anywhere, then, you know, talk to your Zakins, you know, talk to your Rabbi, and, you know, talk to your Hassan, talk to your goodbye, you know, and we will help you. So trust me, there's no way you can lose on this, especially since you're filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, who is supposed to, like, teach you all things lead you in the knowledge of the truth and like help you with the words of Yeshua and stuff. So, uh, obviously you want to make sure you're walking by the spirit, which is the words of Torah. So, you know, it's, it's connected. It's a HUD. So anyway, just to share that with you and to go back to our Besorah for one moment, uh, just to Make sure we do a great job covering this. Um, you know, and Pincus, you know, Parsha Pincus, Pincus did what he did back at the end of Parsha Balak. So if you go back to last week's Torah portion, at the very end, you see that he goes into the tent of the prince of the tribe of Shimeon while he's in the middle Of doing very immoral uh, sexual acts. And Pincus takes a spear and drives it through him. So. I'm going to give you some midrash with the help of Hashem. Because. I think it's important to know. About the zeal that Pincus had. And how he used it. Because really when you think a lot about. Zeal. Like. There's a level of you're going outside of yourself, but there's also a very control path. And so what Pincus does when he goes into this tent, there's a whole lot that precedes it. So I'm going to, um, I could read this from Piercate de Eliezer. I could read this from, and by the way, Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer, chapter 47, Midrash Tankuma, Balak 30, Targum Yonatan, Bami 258, 25, 8, or Legends of the Jews, 3-6, section 63. So, of course, I'm going to use that one. How did you know, right? But I mean, it's just, uh, it's just the thing to do. All right. So I'm going to read this. This is how we need to look at zeal, because when Mashiach and his zeal goes in uh, to the money changers and tosses them out, uh, the temple is underneath Roman authority. It's not even underneath Jewish authority. So there is a little bit of maybe a 60 40, if you will, if probably even that writings of Josephus would give us more things. Um, anyway, and also if you really want to know about believers in Yeshua, um, and Judaism of the, the early first century and things like that, you can also read Josephus' writings. Now, obviously there's a limited amount on Yeshua, but, uh, at least that would be a better step in the right direction as opposed to looking online and finding things from Rabbi Google. Okay. So But the zeal that Mashiach has, this is related to the zeal of Pincus. And this is actually what caused Pincus to have his own Torah portion that explains out about the covenant of peace. And the word for Shalom, which is the word peace, has a Vav that is broken. And the Vav again represents man. And so the Vav being broken is like this man was broken. And so you think about the zeal, you have to break yourself, you have to lose your composure, you have to sacrifice your own self, like you could die for this kind of thing. So uh, that's that's how Mashiach operated. So him just going into the, the beta HaMikdash and t- tossing over stuff is just like, that's like kicking a, a hornet's nest. It's like, uh, I know you're like the king of the universe and stuff, but like people were trying to kill you and it's just like, well, they can only kill me if I let them. So I'm going to do this. <laughs> but anyway, the 12 miracles here brought down the legends of the Jews on Pincus. So again, this is volume three, chapter six, section 63 it says, uh, Pincus now prepared at the risk of his own life literally if you're going to be zealous just know it will be at the risk of your own life so choose carefully if you're going to be zealous in something or not because you might just die hopefully it's for a good reason if you do but uh you definitely don't want to die in vain and you also don't want to risk your life for just insanity or foolishness so really think about this okay so at the risk of his own life to punish Zimri for his sin. Okay. So Zimri is a high ranking officer in B'nai Yisrael. Like he is literally one of the people, uh, who actually, I believe he's one of the 10 spies. Let me go back to this. Um, before I misquote myself, cause I don't want to do that. So, if you'll indulge me one moment, I'm going to go back to Parsha Shalak. And I want to make sure, because it would be interesting if uh, Zimri was actually one of the ten. So, here I am in Parsha Shalak. For the tribe of Shimeon, Shafat the son of Kori. Okay, so it was not him. So this is interesting. So I am in Bami Bar 13. Yeah, we went all the way back. So check this out. So this is the Keher Tumash. It says, uh, verse three. So Moshe sent the men out from the Paran Desert with God's permission. Key phrase. All of them were men of distinction. They were leaders of the Israelites, i.e. the best of them. That's from Rashi on Devarim 123. So now, Zimri wanting to be all like Mr. Get Bad over here is going up to Moshe like, (laughs) man, you know, um, I am greater than you are. And it's like you weren't even one of the ten, like one of the men of distinction, but you're one of the tribal leaders but yeah, you didn't even go into the land. So it's kind of like, what are, you, what are you doing here, homeboy? But anyway, I digress. Says they wanted to punish Zimri for his sin. Okay, so he left the house of teaching, which again, if you're going to leave from your Torah study, it must be pretty important. He left from the house of teaching where he had until now debated the case of zimri with moshe and all the other pious men this is what we call a debate for the sake of heaven which is like a maklokit that is the positive kind so it's just kind of like should we kill this guy should we not kill this guy should we let this happen i don't know there's a plague going on so let's really think about this people are dying right now and why because of this guy. And because of what's going on with the women of Midian and Moab, really working against us here. So we need to have a meeting right now, huddle, you know. And it says, um, and had himself provided with a lance. So he's just kind of like, okay, so I got a spear in my hand, and this is how we're going to roll. Having none with him, because no armed man may enter a house of teaching. Okay. So that his weapon might not betray him, he detached the upper iron part of the lance, hid it in his bosom, and leaned upon the wooden shaft as if it were a staff. Okay, so again, I quote uh, the uh, obvious reference to Assassin's Creed. For any of those who know about Assassin's Creed, whether you know the game or the movie, did see the movie, wasn't all that great, but it was some good action scenes. But anyway, um, I should not be so harsh. Okay, so the movie was okay, it was wonderful, and the action was amazing. There we go. Don't be bad talking. We're supposed to be guarding our tongue on the three weeks, and uh, here I am all like talking bad about movies. Okay, but anyway, we shouldn't be watching movies anyways for three weeks. <laughs> we can watch some drushes though anyway, uh, that his weapon might not betray him. He detached the upper iron part and hid it in his bosom. Okay. So he's got a walking staff. He's acting like he's a really old guy. He's like, I'm not having a good day today. I'm leaning on my wooden staff, but what you don't know is I'm concealing, you know? So anyway, when he reached the house where Zemri and Cosby were giving extravagant play to their passions, the people said to him, where pink Whence Pincus and whither? like where is he and where did he go? He replied, Do you not know that the tribe of Levi is always to be found where the tribe of Shimeon is? Then they permitted him to enter the house, but said, It seems that even the Perushim now permits intercourse with a heathen. Side note, Legend of the Jews is calling the children of Israel in the wilderness Pharisees. Let that deal with you for a moment. (laughs) Okay, anyway. When Pincus had entered, he drew his lance and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Pincus, his fear that these two might attack him was not realized. For God performed no less than 12 miracles for Pincus. Pincus didn't even know, like, hey, this might go real south. (laughs) Like Korok bad. Or like 10 spies bad or like Dathan and Aviram bad. Like, I don't know, but I got to do this. But Hashem was like, I got your back. Don't worry. I got at least 12 things I'm about to do right now. Here they are. It says not only made it impossible for the sinners to attack him, but also showed the people his action found favor in the sight of God. And if you're going to find favor in the sight of God, it literally delivers you from a flood, you know, because Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Remember that back in Genesis? Anyway, it says the first miracle. Count them down. First miracle. An angel would not allow the sinful couple to separate when when Pincus surprised them. Number two, the angel stopped their mouth so they not cry out for help. Number three. The miracle was that Pincus's lance struck the man and the woman's pudenda, which I don't know what that is. Don't you want to know? Moving on. Number four. The fourth one was that the upper iron part of the lance extended so that Pincus could at once thrust pierce the man as well as the woman. Number five. The miracle that Pincus's arm was sufficiently strong, like his mighty right arm, if you will, to lift both up to the point of his lance. Number six, the sixth miracle was that the wooden shaft of the lance sustained the weight of two persons. Which, by the way, this just makes me think of Mashiach when he's on the the crucifixion stake. Like, he's suspended up there. It's holding him up. It's supernatural, just like the serpent in the wilderness was supernatural. Because remember, Moshe put it up on a pole, but Hashem actually suspended it in the air. Like, he caused the serpent to stay on the pole. There's no way that heavy piece of bronze or nekoshet, I'm going to go with the actual Hebrew word, because it's like bronze or copper. Like, which one is it? It's nekoshet. Just the same color as the mizbeach in the courtyard. But anyway, so this is like, it should be super heavy and this pole should break. And it's just like, why don't you get a bigger pole? It's like, well, he could. But anyway, so Mashiach being on the stake is definitely supernatural because, you know, he's like, he's the word of God being posted up on a post. Like a doorpost. Like a mezuzah. Okay, but anyway. So that is the uh, fourth miracle, this lance being extended. And um, the fifth miracle, his arm was strong. The sixth miracle, the wooden shaft sustained the lance, uh, the weight for two people. And then number seven, the miracle was that the two bodies remained poised upon the lance and did not fall off, which is, you know, you would think at some point they would slide or move or something like that. And it's like, Nope, it just stayed there. Okay. Then it says, uh, number eight, the angel turned the shameless pair around so that all might see Pincus surprise them in their flagrance. Okay. So when they turned around and saw him and he shish kebabbed them, um, they were actually miraculously returned back to their position, uh, a very not nice sight uh, there when they were uh, posted up for everybody to see. So it made it look like, oh, he surprised them. Anyway, number nine was that no blood flowed from them, although they had been thrust through. OK, they didn't bleed. It's Interesting. And obviously Yeshua would have been very bloody, but we don't really hear about him bleeding profusely until he was stabbed with a spear and blood and water came out. But at that point, he was already dead. So there's that. Till then, he kept all his blood and water inside. Okay, and then it says uh, if this would have happened, Pincus would have been polluted. Yeah, he would have been a little bit unclean. So anyway, now you got a death that is done in complete purity and there is no cont- there is no contamination attached. This is on the level of Yaakov dying and Yosef kissing him on the cheek. Yosef didn't even uh, contract any uh, impurity from a corpse because Yaakov's body, though it was dead, quote unquote, because it literally says he gave up the ghost. It didn't say he died which is a whole another, drosh for another time. But he literally gave off no impurity and he did not see decay. And so if you really look at this, this picture here, again, Mashiach being up there, he who knew no sin becoming sin, he who is complete purity, taking on impurity, you know, so you have these dynamics at work here. And so uh, Pincus didn't contract any pollution. It says the 10th miracle was that the shameless couple did not give up the ghost so long as Pincus bore them up on the point of his lance as he would otherwise have been polluted by their corpses. So Pincus would have had to dwell outside the camp had that have happened, but he didn't have to. The 11th miracle was that the angel raised the doorposts of the room so that Pincus might pass through with the sinners upon the point of his staff. And the 12th and final miracle, at least the 12th miracle that we know of here, because there could have been more, but we're only going for 12. It says the 12th miracle was that when the tribe of Shimeon prepared to avenge Prince Zimri's death, Upon Pincus, the angel sent a plague upon them so that they were impotent or impotent against him. So Hashem definitely made sure that Pincus's zealousness was covered. Just like here in our Besor portion, Hashem makes sure that Mashiach's zealousness is covered. This could have all gone very south real fast. The crucifixion could have happened right here. But again, it wasn't time. And Mashiach needed to do this to give us another point to show that the things that are written in the Tanakh were written about me. And I'm going to show you like over here in the Psalms, like over here in Devarim and things like that. So uh, that is our basura portion and that is Parshat Pincus. So many blessings to everyone. I pray that we all finally bring the redemption uh, as we are mourning for the temple and yearning for the return of Mashiach Yeshua. Remember, as Lapid, we're davening for Saginaw, Texas. We're davening for Mikvah Shiloah, and we're davening for the coming of Mashiach. Be very courageous. And for those of us who have been made into Avengers, be even more courageous and lead people in being courageous. May we all be inspirational to one another. May we truly use the gifts that Hashem has given us to bring forth the redemption, reveal Mashiach Yeshua to the world, be a city on a hilltop. Many blessings and shalom. And as we index our time, let us all say Baruch Haba Bishem Adonai. Barukata donai, Elohenu Melakaolam, Asher Natan la nu Toratemet, Vekayeolam, Natabet Okanu. Barukata donai, no Hatora. Amen.